so let's open our Bibles into our New Testaments to the book of James. We're going to look at 11 verses today, guys, but I want to prepare you in advance that we're going to hang tight primarily on the first like four or so, so that here in 20, 30 minutes, you're not like going, my goodness, this guy's got seven more verses to get through and we're here still, you know, I know how that can go. Our minds can start wandering like that. I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to be able to stay focused. I got you on this, okay? We're still going to be sort of timely, all right? So, James Chapman, you guys, are you guys uh, with me today? Okay, I'm just making sure, because you guys didn't laugh when I said that. You didn't think it was funny. So today, what we're going to talk about is an attitude adjustment, <laughs> title of the message. <laughs> Let's take our hearts to the Lord. God, we just thank you so much for your love and your mercy, God, and just for your grace and gathering us together. Thank you, Lord, for granting everyone safe travels here, and we pray for safe travels when we return home, Father. Uh, we just pray that whether it be here or, or Father, online, that uh, you would just minister, teach, and touch our hearts, God. We want to learn of you. We don't just want to be challenged, God. We want to be changed by you. And so we ask that you would do that work by the power of your spirit. And Lord, be there anyone within the sound of my voice, perhaps it doesn't know you, uh, God, that today uh, you would just bring them into the saving knowledge of your grace, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the epistle or letter of James is a very put feet to your faith kind of a book. It is blatantly all about practical Christian living. And out of the 108 verses found in this book, we find 54 imperatives. Now, uh, if you're wondering perhaps what is an imperative, an imperative put simply is just a command. Uh, it is not a recommendation. It is not a strong uh, suggestion. It is a command, uh, which means essentially we have on average some kind of call to action. If you average it out, some kind of call to action, uh, basically every other verse in this entire book. And so uh, as to where much of Paul's writings, not all of it, but much of it, emphasizes that inward saving faith, which lends itself to God's perspective, right? God looks to the heart. Uh, James writes about that outward serving faith. So Paul might focus on saving faith. James kind of focuses on serving faith, which lends itself to man's perspective. And the harmony of those two things is found in that the seed or the root of saving faith will bring forth, of course, the fruit or the tangible evidence of serving faith. Uh, the one that is saving faith necessarily leads to the other, which is serving faith. Now, uh, James is believed to be one of, if not the uh, earliest written book of the New Testament. That's just a little fun fact for you. Uh, and just so you know, uh, and you know, there's a little bit of wonder there with a cup one, you know, but uh, a lot of people lend to it toward James. And just so you know, this isn't James the brother of John. If you remember right, he was martyred early on in the book of Acts. Uh, this is James the half-brother of Jesus. And so same mom, right? Uh, different dads. Uh, and uh, so this man's uh, dad was was Joseph as to where Jesus was the son of God, right? Being conceived of a virgin, being uh, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and then being found with child, she brought forth a, a son, her firstborn son, and was instructed of the angel to call his name Jesus, which means Jehovah or God is salvation uh, because his name would mark his mission. He would save his people from their sins. 
And so let's turn our attention to the very first verse here in, in the book of James where we read, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, he says, greetings. Now, probably the very first thing that jumps out at us in this verse, ironically enough, is uh, something that we don't see. I kind of alluded to it a little bit ago. It's, it's not what's there that surprises us so much as it is what's not there, because he does not mention that he is the brother of Jesus. Now look, I'm just saying that if I were the brother of the Lord, you know, as Paul refers to him in the book of Galatians, you know, James, the brother of our Lord, uh, you know, I'm just going to tell you that I'd have found a way to slip that bit of information, albeit as humbly as possible, uh, into my writing. But James doesn't do that. He doesn't refer to himself as the brother of Jesus, but rather as the bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. For James, Jesus was way more than his brother. He was his Lord. Now, if you're very familiar with the gospel writings, you know as you read through them, you discover that initially James didn't believe in Jesus at all. I mean, and you know, listen, we got to put yourself in James Sandals, right? I mean, I would imagine that growing up, he probably considered Jesus to be a little bit eccentric, if not, you know, uh, altogether kind of weird, you know? I mean, Jesus was a different kind of kid. How could he not be? You know, I mean, there he was, even at 12 years old, blowing the minds of the teachers in the temple with his insights, his questions, his, his understanding. But as you read the Gospels, you discover that James and uh, his other brothers and sisters, which kind of puts an end to the whole like Roman Catholic position of the perpetual virginity of Mary. I, I don't understand that when you read the Gospels and you see that Jesus had brothers and sisters and all of the things. But uh, they just kind of thought that he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, seeking and saving that which was lost. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, Jesus, you know, that, that kind of a thing. They ridiculed him. They harassed him. They just uh, seemed to belittle what he was all about. By the way, I would say, as a little sub-point here, let that be a word of encouragement for you today. Because maybe you're in that place, you're in that position, whereby since you have given your life to Christ, maybe your family thinks you're a little strange. You know, I mean, or they don't believe it's really going to take. You know what I'm saying? It's like they just think it's just a matter of time before you come crashing back into your old ways and... You know, family members are always the hardest to win over. Even Jesus said, the prophet's without honor in his own home. It's hard for them to get past knowing you as that person that they've always known and seen and, uh, you know, have those patterns and things. And, uh, and uh, yet you've met Christ. You've been changed. You've been transformed fundamentally, foundationally from the inside out. It's going to take some time for them to see that and come to uh, understand and even, even accept that. But something happened, didn't it, in the life of James that would change him forever. We discover in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus actually appeared to him personally after his resurrection. 
After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything changed for James and his brothers and sisters, and understandably so. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes lives. The Bible reports over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. And so I would just encourage you that uh, if you haven't up to this point, uh, quit ignoring the evidence and join James in believing. Amen. Amen. Now, as you read the book of Acts, it seems that James would become the primary leader in, uh, and a pillar, really, in the uh, early church. Uh, not, not that he was ever over the, the apostles. They would, you know, uh, often uh, come and kind of uh, correlate and uh, communicate and, and think through uh, situations that would arise where there would have to be a decision made. But it seems that when the final straw, the final say was exacted, many times it would primarily be fault to James in the situation, just like you find in the book of Acts in chapter uh, 15 and all. Uh, But we note that James looked at himself, again, not as this high kind of standing uh, person of importance, and not as the brother of Jesus, but as the bond slave of God. Now this word bond servant or a bond slave, more literally, is the word doulos, which you've maybe heard before. It, it means to be completely devoted to another, to the disregard of one's own interests. Uh, James is essentially saying that he's God's property to do with as he pleases, uh, to use as he sees fit. Uh, It's that to which the Apostle Paul was pointing when he wrote, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And here it is, you are not your own. Why? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, not only outwardly, but inwardly. You understand what that means, right? Not just outwardly for everybody to see, but inwardly in truth, in spirit, in truth. The time is coming and now is. I'm telling you, you worship God, you honor God, you glorify God, not only outwardly, but inwardly in spirit and in truth, which are God. So your body and your spirit, all that you are, every nuance, every fiber belongs to God. You understand that? Therefore, you and me, we are to glorify God with all that we are. Our responsibility isn't to ourselves to do as we please. It's to God to do as he pleases. Here's a quick question for you to consider. How is it that God wants to use your life? You ever stop to ponder that? Lord, what do you want to do with me? How is it you want to use me? Not only maybe maybe out in the community, maybe right here in the church body. Listen, it's not about what you want to do. Honestly, can I be honest with you? Not about what you want. Well, I don't want it. Well, why does that matter? You're not your own. What does God want? You see, we're here to serve him. Uh, He's the one who purchased you. Uh, Peter pointed to the same thing when he wrote, you were not redeemed, again that word is purchased, with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct. How many of you understand that before you gave your life to Christ, your conduct was just aimless? 
just wandering, just out there doing whatever, you know. Uh, but he says, uh, you know, which you received from the tradition of your fathers, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Okay, so again, we see that James recognized Jesus as more than his brother. He was the bondservant of God, but he saw Jesus as the co-equal with God. A bondservant or a bondslave of the Father and of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, not, not uh, listen, how many of you realize you're either God or you're not? Right, you can't be less God. Uh, so you know, it's not God the Father, and you've seen me do this before, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're co-equals. Listen, if you're not all-knowing, if you're not all-powerful, if you're not all-present, you're not God. If you're anything less than any of those things, you are not God. So you can't be kind of like, well, he's like, he's like God, but not quite like fully like the Father. No, absolutely equal in every way, or he's not. If you're less than God, you're not God. Are you with me? God the Father and the Lord, kurios, Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Now this is one of the indicators that lends itself to the early writing of James. Because its application is to all believers everywhere. However, you remember uh, that when the church was born, ladies and gentlemen, day of Pentecost, even for a good stretch after that, the church was 100% entirely Jewish. Okay? Uh, it wasn't until you get to Acts chapter 10 that we even see the first Gentiles being brought into the church. And so it would seem that James wrote this either before the Gentiles were brought into the church or at least before they were appearing in significant numbers, okay? When he says 12 tribes, it's just another way of saying for all Jewish believers everywhere. It's for all my brothers everywhere. Uh, regardless of where you may have been scattered, be it through persecution or whatever circumstance, uh, this letter was written to instruct and encourage all believers everywhere to help mold and mature them. Now the word scattered is kind of an and it, well, I would say it's, in, it's important, but it's instructive. It's an instructive word because it could also be translated dispersed. I don't know if any of your Bibles would say that. Um, but you think of like scattering seed, okay? Like the sower went out to sow and he began to scatter or to disperse seed. That's how James, that's what this word kind of lends itself. That's the pictorial kind of perspective of this word. James perceives uh, the believers who had left Jerusalem or Israel for whatever reason, uh, you know, like seed having been scattered all over the place that they might bring forth fruit for the gospel or the fruit of the gospel wherever they may have landed, right? So there they are, they're being dispersed, they're being scattered. Whatever means, whatever circumstance led to that, where they land, they're to bring forth the fruit of the gospel, and so too with you, and so too with me. Wherever you may be, wherever you may land in life, 
There you are in the uh, educational world, the academic world. There you are in the retail world. There you are in the uh, medical field or whatever the case may be. You've been scattered. You've been dispersed. You're out there. And and you're to, to bring forth the fruit of the gospel. God would have you be encouraged, instructed by his word being molded and brought into maturity that you might bring forth fruit, sharing and showing Jesus to others for the glory of his name. Now look at verse two. He says, my brethren, this is where you get out your pen, you start underlining things, start circling things, start highlighting. That actually first verse, you know, bond servant. Yep, there's one to circle. Uh, and, oh, that means co-equal with. Yep, that's a good one. The Lord Jesus Christ, that's who he is. I underline that, you know what I'm saying? Anything of significance, which you're going to find a lot of that here. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, that is lacking nothing, right? Uh, Now, listen, uh, James wastes uh, no time exhorting us here to a a certain course of action. In verse 2, we find our first imperative or or command, and verse 4 finds our second one. And guys, this is where we're going to spend some time, because there are a number of things that we do well to highlight here and think through for just a little bit. Right off the bat, so many words, and listen, the way you study your Bible uh, you know, narratives, uh, you know, Micah, Malachi, di- uh, different, you know, Exodus, you've got these narratives, and they kind of, large sections that kind of create a theme and point out principles. When, when you, even some of the Gospels, when you get into like epistles, it's like virtually, okay, virtually, every word is important. You want to think about e- every word. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to isolate every word, but I'm saying you can do that. Okay, Um, but right off the bat, he exhorts us, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, again, this is not a, 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 a strong suggestion. He doesn't recommend that we do this. He requires us. He commands us to. And what is he doing? He's highlighting the appropriate, listen to me, the appropriate attitude in adversity. He's highlighting the appropriate attitude in adversity. But what we're going to note is that the attitude is tied to an understanding of the advantage of the trial and from where we obtain assistance in the trial. Does that make sense to you? In other words, it's not the trial itself that we embrace, but the outcome of the trial. Does that make sense? Knowing what it is that God will accomplish, knowing that God has a plan, he has a purpose in it, and that spiritual growth will be a result of going through it. But again, let's take note of a couple of things. The first thing we want to highlight here, guys, listen, if you haven't seen it, I just want to draw your attention to it. 
It's the inevitability of trials and tribulations in your life. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. He doesn't say, if you fall into various trials. Is that, does anyone's Bible say if? Okay, just making sure. What does it say? It says when. It's as we say, uh, not a matter of if trials will find you, only when. And note this, it is not a, a, a kind of a one-size-fits-all uh, trial packet that we're all sort of subjected to. No, they are, the word is, Various. There are, there are various. In other words, trials will vary from person to person in all kinds of forms and fashions, greater than, less than. They come in all kinds of colors and fashions and forms and the whole thing. And as believers, check this out, you and me, we have the potential, oh, this is going to excite you, uh, for the double dip kind of trial. You know, meaning some trials will visit you or me just because we are human, right? For no other reason. In other words, what I mean is no different than anyone else. Um, it, it may be health related. It may be some sort of tragedy. It could be work related. It may be relationship related. It could be finances. You know, whatever kind of tough time or tragic circumstance that could befall anyone, but as a Christian, you also have an enemy who is seeking to destroy your life. This uh, one who roams as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? Which brings a whole other spiritual dynamic to the trials that you may face. So uh, some trials may come to you for no other reason than that you are a Christian, you know, and therefore you're persecuted or you're hated. Uh, perhaps you're looked over at work or you're sided against, on and on, right? We all have these things that have entered the equation of our life just because we love the Lord. And so you kind of have this double potential for trials in your life. But guys, I don't want you to pretend, or me, let's not pretend that this isn't, you know, anything that we weren't made aware of. It was when you signed on, when you said, Lord, I believe. When, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And some were all, well, I mean, he's a prophet. He's a good teacher. He's a lot, lot you know, no different than Muhammad or, or, or Buddha or, you know, Krishna or all these different, you know, uh, you know mystic uh, teachers and philosophers. And Oh, okay, that's what I mean. Who do you say that I am? Well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Right? And you came to this understanding. You made this profession of faith. But Jesus was very clear that the road that leads to life, right? He said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go that way. Why? Because narrow is the way and difficult is the path that leads to life. And few, by comparison, will find it or traverse or travel it. He said, in this world, you will have. Not, not might have or, or could have. Again, it's these words. They're important, aren't they? He said, you will have tribulation. Now, Paul kind of expounded on that. 
kind of expanded on that when he said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now these are the kind of verses most likely to be left out in your, like your Bible promise book that you have. You know, there you are, you're looking for a word of encouragement, you feel like you're having a rough day, you open your Bible promise book and it's like, well, you're going to have tribulation. <laughs> Wait, oh, that's not what I'm wanting. Now, I should say that if your Bible says temptations here, anyone have, reading King James? couple of you so it says you know yeah so it, it says you know uh, maybe diverse temptations or something like that uh, that would be an incorrect translation only according to like our modern vernacular the way that we would use words the the correct understanding is trials why because trials speaks to outward adverse uh, circumstances as to where temptation speaks to inward solicitation to sin. Does that make sense? So trials are outward, temptations are inward. Now James will get to temptations, but not here. Okay, he's talking about trials. And he says, count it all. See, that's one of the, again, that's another one of those words. Count it all. In other words, uh, whatever various, whatever sundry kind of trial, major, minor, this one, that one, all of it, there's no exceptions. Count it all joy when you, and here's our next word, fall into various trials. Now again, this is one of those descriptive words. Jesus used this same word when he spoke of the man that went down from Jerusalem, remember, and he said, and he fell among thieves. Uh, it speaks of being suddenly surrounded on every side with no chance, no opportunity for escape. You know, he had, and that's where he began to speak of the good Samaritan, how, you know, he was roughed up and taken by these thieves and beaten and everything he had. And then, of course, you know, the priest passed and the Levite passed and the Samaritan came and, and helped him out. But, you know, you fall in victim to these thugs in that particular scenario. In other words, what James is talking about here isn't you making a bad decision and reaping the error of your ways. That happens. Uh, you know, but in this, you know, you weren't looking for trouble, you weren't looking for trials, but trouble and trials found you. Anyone relate to that? Right, this happens, doesn't it? And the point being that, you know, at many points in your Christian life, you will be suddenly um, surrounded by adversities, afflictions, and calamities that are hard to bear. Now, they won't be something that you kind of ease into. You know, there you are, it's the first swim at the pool of the summer, and you're kind of like, you know, you're dipping your toe in the water, you're checking it out, it's kind of cold, you kind of pull it back, unless you're Jody and you're a polar bear club, you just cannonball watermelon right in, you don't care. That is not my style. I'm more of an ease into it. It takes me about the time everyone else is ready to go. I've finally gotten in, you know. But, but that's kind of, this is the thing he's saying, you know, when you fall and you're thinking, it's like, you know, envision Nest T Plunge. Anybody remember Nest T Plunge? Am I dating myself? <laughs> Any of you guys know what the Nest T Plunge is? All right. Uh, anybody know what Nest T is? <laughs> okay. It's T. And they would stand on the pool on the edge and they would just fall back. <laughs> uh, 
Well, anyway, all I'm saying is that what James says, well, you're going to fall into various trials. It's not something you're going to kind of dip your toe in, kind of warm up to, kind of make your way toward. You're just going to be plunged into it unsuspectingly. Someone comes by in the pool scenario, just pushes you in unaware. Boom, you're surrounded, right? Water just engulfing you. Now, what I'm about to say can be difficult for us to receive, you know, here in this first world kind of culture. Because we are accustomed to niceties. You and me, we love being entertained. We love having things the way we want them. But many of you have heard me say this before, and it's something that we just need to understand. And that is, guys, that God is not trying to make us happy. You understand that? God is not trying to make you and me happy. His heart is to make us holy. It's not our comfort that he's concerned with so much as it is our character. We tend to live with a view toward the temporal. You know, we, we kind of want everything just so and all of that. We are of the earth and earthly minded so many times. But God seeks to develop us with an eye toward the eternal. And that's why it's so important that we learn and remember to maintain an eternal perspective. Because if, listen, if you and me, if we live only for the present and not for the future, this is where trials can make us bitter rather than better. And you've heard this before, the difference between bitter and better is, it's only one letter, happens to be I. Job had the right perspective when he said, but he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. And so when James says, count it all joy, family, we need to pay attention to the words he's using. Remember what I told you? It's every word's important. Because he doesn't say, be joyful about it. Sometimes we try to translate it that way, right? And we want to smile through the trial. It's hard. It's like, this is fake. And in many ways, you know, this be joyful about it mentality is contrary to the way we're even wired. You know what I mean? Yay, a trial. Um, no, Jesus wept, didn't he? Sometimes we, people teach on this and they make you feel like, man, I'm really failing because I'm not all giddy. I'm not up here dancing a jig because I'm going through some incredibly tough or tragic time. Jesus wept. Paul the Apostle said, weep with those who weep. And so we want to remain balanced in our approach to this. He doesn't say, feel it all joy, does he? Like, man, this tough time, should just, man, it just hits me right in the feels. I'm so warm and fuzzy. No. Uh, probably won't feel too joyful. The word is count it. Count. It means to evaluate or to estimate something, in this case, the trial, as 
joy. Why? Because it means that God is at work. Remember, we've been kind of alluding to this. The result will be good for you. It will glorify him. Hey, now I can joy in that. It's going to be good for me. It's going to glorify him. Listen, God wants to grow you and me. He has a goal in mind for you and me. Not happiness, holiness, not comfort, character, He wants to make us like Christ. He wants to produce something in you that will bless and benefit you and others throughout your, as it prepares you for eternity, it will benefit others around you throughout your entire stay on this earth. And the way that God does that, the way that God grows you, that he, the way that he takes you toward this goal, this particular goal that we're talking about in James, listen, it's a word you're not going to like, it's through adversity. Now again, I know it's not popular. We all want to go to bed and say this little prayer. Oh God, I mean, I mean, how many of you have said this? And this is not, this is not like uh, to take away from it. Hey, I say it too. You know, Lord, I just, uh, God, I want to be more like Jesus, right? You go to bed, you pray that God would make you uh, more godly and more like Him. That you'd you know, be be uh, come you know a, a, as the Lord or like the Lord or you know all the different vernacular, different you know, but uh, semantics. But it's the same kind of a uh, of an idea. And so we say this prayer and and, and we want to go to bed and. And somehow and in some way, almost like, uh, you know, you've heard me talk about the magic pixie dust kind of sprinkles over you as you sleep, and there you are, and you wake up, and <laughs> you know, you kind of wake and you stretch, and man, you're just, you're, you're just feeling a little more godly, you know, and there you are, you've grown through the night, and uh, oh, now listen, God could do that. Um, odds are he won't do that, Okay. Let's remember, ladies and gentlemen, the emblem of Christianity is not a comfy bed. It's cross. Um, It's not, the Bible doesn't talk about the refiner's feather pillow, (laughs) right? But the refiner's fire. This purifying, this developing through as the heat is, is brought on, right? Uh, we're purified as by fire. It's one of those things that sounds real good, but feels not so good. But again, James wants us to know that God has a goal in mind when trials befall us, and this, this should adjust our attitude toward the trial. Family, at this, this would be a good time to remind ourselves of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things, right, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. But family, as we read here, I want to be clear with you that we may not understand every detail of what God is accomplishing in said trial, though He does allow us to understand a few, a couple of benefits that will result from the trial, okay? James is clear that it is a test. Is it a test of everything you know? That's not what my Bible says. Knowing that the testing of your what? Your faith. 
It's a test of faith. Again, you're not going to understand every detail of what God is accomplishing in it. God has been gracious to let us know a, a benefit or two that will result from it. But let's be clear, this is a test of faith. Count it all joy knowing that the testing of your faith. Your faith will be tested by trials. Now, this is important. Trials won't result in faith, okay? Trials reveal genuine faith. The Bible is clear. What results in faith? Well, so then, faith comes by hearing. Remember, that anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. That is understand. There's an understanding implied here. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the what? The Word of God. So the Word of God, the taking in, the understanding of God's Word will result in faith, but trials won't result in faith. They will reveal faith. Now, not to God. He already knows but to you and to those around you. Now the testing of your faith will yield something. It will produce something in our lives. The testing of your faith, he says, produces what? Patience. Now this word patience is the Greek word hupomone. Uh, and what it literally means is an active, steadfast endurance. An active, in other words, when you think of patience, what do you think of? Typically, we think of something rather passive, don't we? I mean, you're just kind of patiently waiting, there you are. Um, maybe you're at the doctor's office and you're just waiting for the test results. You're being patient, because you all know, you, how many of you have finally figured out why you're called a patient in the doctor's office? Because <laughs> man, you're going to sit there for a minute. <laughs> Anybody have that ER experience? You go in at like three in the afternoon, and it's like five in the morning before they finally get to you, or whatever. Oh, this is why they called me a patient, you know? I, I digress. Uh, but that's passive, okay? That is not the patience of, uh, you know, uh, that this is, this, this patience is not passive is what I'm trying to say. It's the ability that enables you to keep going so you finish the marathon, right? There you are. You're enduring. It's a steadfast continuance under the weight of adversity. God, here's the point. God wants you to learn to keep on keeping on when times are tough. Can you understand? that? God wants you to learn to keep on keeping on even though times are tough. And I'm just going to tell you that patience, this active endurance, this bearing up under the weight of adversity is absolutely necessary if you are going to mature as a man or a woman of God. Again, not the passive acceptance of circumstance, but the active endurance of in the face of tragic times or suffering or difficulty. Listen, you show me an impatient person and I'll show you an immature person. Impatience and immaturity are hand in hand. Now, conversely, you show me a mature person and I'll show you a person who is patient and persistent. Faith and patience Work together, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience.
patience. This is what the author of Hebrews was referring to when he wrote, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, this active you know, uh, pursuance to the full assurance of hope until the end. We're not stopping. We're not becoming sluggish, that is lazy or passive, but imitate those who through, here it is, faith and patience inherit the promises. And guys, we should make plain the fact that in Christ, this is another one that can be hard to swallow, but you're just going to have to hear it. Growing old does not equal growing up. Okay? It takes this patience, this ability to actively endure if we are to grow to be mature men and women of God. And the way that God develops this characteristic in us is through trials. There's no other way. Write it down. We won't go there. You can look it up in a little bit when we're finished here. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. If you're that margin etcher right out there beside this verse, you or this little passage, you're going to want to write that down. Uh, Here's the point. You can't read a book uh, or listen to a podcast and develop this kind of patience. It takes difficult, trying times. Listen, listen now, I want you to think about this, and this is where I I was telling you earlier that we were going to be here for a minute so you'd stay with me, okay? I want you to think about this, because we discover in Galatians chapter 5, how many of you are familiar with that Galatians 5 passage where he talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit? If you're not, you might just write down Galatians 5, look it up later, okay? But there you're going to discover that patience, or sometimes it's translated long-suffering, right? Being willing to suffer long, to actively endure, to bear up under whatever the weight is that's upon you. That long-suffering is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Now, that's important because it's not a gift of the Spirit. Do you see how I'm distinguishing? You see how I'm cutting the text? I'm making the difference there? Patience is not a gift of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, a gift of the Spirit, whether it be teaching, administrative, whether it be tongues or prophecy or miracles, uh, you know, a gift of this is something freely given to you, right? Just freely given. That's what a gift is. Fruit, on the other hand, is something that has to be, well, the word is cultivated. It has to be cultivated. There is a process by which it is developed. Now, the seed is there, right? The seed is there. When you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Everything you need to lead a mature, godly, Christian life is present immediately. But God will grow and cultivate that seed through a process, and part of that process involves trials, tribulations, pain, and suffering. And what James is telling us is that the right outlook results in the right attitude, and the right attitude will result in the right outcome. Now listen to me, you are free to kick, to squirm, to fail the test, to remain a superficial, shallow saint. 
And God is gracious to let you take the test again and again and again uh, until you pass. But in order to pass, we have to learn to submit to God. We've got to, here's the word, here's that other word, that little word that you've never really paid attention to as you've read this passage before, but now that I'm talking about it, you see it, it's the word let. Did you see it? You've got to let Patience have its perfect work, meaning we're not to try and escape the trial. We have to actively endure the trial. Here's the point. There are no shortcuts. If you want to grow, there's no, you know, listen, what do we say? Frank, what do we say when it comes to the, the you know, becoming a good jiu-jitsu practitioner? There's, you just cannot substitute. There's no substitute for mat time, is there? You've got to get in there. You've got to grind it out. You've got to endure. And that would be the same too if you're in the gym or, and you're, you're lifting and you want some results. There's no substitute for, for the process. You cannot substitute. You've got to go through it. You've got to endure. And so too, you want to be a mature man, a mature woman of God, you've got to let You've got to let patience have its perfect work. And the result is then that you'll be perfect. Now, not sinless. That's not what this word means. It means complete or fully mature. Uh, as it says here, lacking nothing. In other words, it's like you get something, you're like, wow, that's perfect. It doesn't mean there's no, no you know, flaws that will ever come through it. It just means it's not lacking anything. It's everything that you need it to be, right? It's a, and so we use this word. But here's the thing. It's a lifelong, intermittent process. But believe me, you want to submit to God. Your patience needs to be every bit as long as the trial. It can't fall one inch short of the trial. Why? Because if not, we tend to transition from character building to child chastening. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so again, it's not so much learning to smile through the trial as it is encourage others to endure. Let patience have its perfect work. And again, guys, we don't have to understand it all. But we can rest in the fact that God loves us. He knows what he's doing. Cast your cares upon him. He cares for you. You will grow. He will be glorified in your life in the end. Listen, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. What a word we need during trying times. And listen, guys, Sometimes it's not only about you. Sometimes it's not even about you. But it will impact those who are watching you. Sometimes God allows something to come into the context of your life, not for your sake, but for the sake of those around you. So that they can see your faithfulness to God. They can watch you find strength in the Lord. And God will use that to turn them, turn their attention to Him. Like, man, if, if God is good, if, you know, if they're trusting in the Lord, drawing strength from the Lord, and maybe I. You see what I mean? Okay. Verse 5. <laughs> he says here, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach, who gives to all, pardon me, liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. 
But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Three things, guys, and I promise we're not far from finished. Three things that James draws to our attention here as we move toward our close. Number one, Trials, this is, where, this is where they begin to connect, right? James is kind of like a New Testament book of Proverbs. Sometimes, you know, he just drops these wisdom bombs, you know what I mean? And it's hard to find how the, the one connects to the other. Uh, but in this case, we can kind of draw the conclusion because he's talking about trials. But then he says, if you lack wisdom, then ask of God. So three things he draws our attention to here. Number one, trials demand wisdom, In other words, is this particular trial something God would want to deliver us from or have us persevere through? Sometimes things come to your life, you know, and and the Lord will deliver you from them. Now, if I need to persevere, then how would God have me do that? How do I deal with that person or how do I deal with this problem in a manner that will be acceptable to God, that will leave a positive impression on those around me? I need wisdom. Number two, wisdom demands prayer. If we lack wisdom, we're to ask of God. We're to pray. By the way, what is wisdom? Uh, Wisdom is not simply raw information. Uh, Wisdom is the appropriate application of said information. Okay? So uh, knowledge tells you it's storming. Wisdom tells you seek shelter. Okay, knowledge can take something apart, it, but wisdom puts it together. Okay? Uh, now, I should also point out that we're not to demand of God, we're not to earn from God, we're to humble ourselves and ask of God. Do you see that? You see how these words are important? Uh, and by the way, that, that's something else that's important. We're to ask of God. It doesn't say... Uh, ask of a book or your pastor or another friend. Now, those things are fine within their appropriate, you know, right context, but go to God first. Ask of God. Because he gives wisdom liberally, that is generously, and without reproach. In other words, he doesn't shame you, uh, he doesn't wag his head like, man, what, you know, belittle or chide you and scold you for asking. Uh, he wants you to ask every time, any time. You know, it's not that sense in which, you know, I don't know, I've asked God for wisdom like three or four times and I feel dumb when I, you know, and he's just like, you again? What, let me guess, wisdom? You know, no, it's not, God's not like that. He wants you to come to him. And guys, we shouldn't forget that the foremost place God's gonna point you to find wisdom, where do you think that's gonna be? You got it, man. God is never going to advise you or counsel you or instruct you in a manner that runs against the grain of his word. So number one, trials demand wisdom. Number two, wisdom demands prayer. Number three, prayer demands faith. Okay? But let him ask in faith with no doubting. In other words, don't doubt God's ability to give you what you need. How many of us start this journey? How do you start your journey in Christ? By grace through faith, right? So let me, let me piece this together. You can trust God to save your soul, but not help you with your present problem. 
Well, now that seems a little inconsistent. Or as James has it, double-minded, wishy-washy, right? Abby, if you can start making your way up here, that'd be great. We're getting ready to close here. But guys, that's what doubt will do for you. It makes you wishy-washy, double-minded. You know, it's that sense of, I believe, Oh, I can't believe, you know, I just, I can't believe it. Uh, Well, I trust God. No, I'm going to handle it myself. You know, like waves of the sea, up and down, this way and that. Unstable, easily tossed to and fro by any little wind of adversity. But guys, it's like this. Either I can work it out or God can work it out, but I can't have it both ways. Does that make sense? And if I won't trust God, why then should I expect that God will do it? Now, I had some measure of faith, right? So I asked. But then I didn't really believe, so I doubted. I'm in that middle, double-minded kind of ground. Be careful. And then, in, in closing, he says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Why? Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner than the sun, uh, has the sun risen with a burning heat, than it withers the grass, its flower falls, its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Closing comment, guys, riches are but for a moment. I've never seen a hearse, guys, I've done a lot of funerals. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You know what I'm talking about? They just don't do it. You can't take it with you. So the idea here is rich or poor, we find common ground, we place our trust, find our identity in Christ. He is your all in all. So God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the practical instruction and words of wisdom for us to grow by. And I I just pray that our lives would honor you, that our actions would be reflective of you, and you would strengthen us, God, that we not doubt you in time of need. Father, I just pray that any of us here, myself, God, if we need that attitude adjustment, Lord, I pray that you do that work, that we walk in wisdom, that we might grow and glorify you in all that we do.